Well, welcome back to Talking Acoustics. Uh, the last decade or two has seen a string of major infrastructure projects across Sydney, uh, affecting the lives of tens of thousands of people who live near these sites. Uh, my guest today has had a long and deep involvement with the management of the noise and vibration impacts uh, from the construction of many of these projects and is at the forefront of that field. Uh, Tracy Gowan is from Renzo Tonin and Associates uh, and I was fortunate enough to sit down with her for a chat at the recent Acoustical Society conference in Wollongong. I'm with Tracy Gowan, who's principal engineer, major projects for Renzo Tonin Associates. It's a it's a nice title, um, but how, we, how do you um, explain what you do to uh, to someone at a barbecue? How would you explain your what you actually do? Okay. Uh, yes, I, I I do think that. It, it is an interesting title and usually I start by explaining um, that I'm an engineer because most people understand what that might be and then if they um, if they want to know more then they'll ask what sort of engineer so then I'll explain that I acoustic or noise and vibration and and then if their eyes don't glaze over then I might go further and explain what I do but most people when I say that I um, an acoustic engineer and I work in noise and vibration they um, they think it's really interesting and say oh wow that's really interesting what do you do with that and um, so it'll often strike up further conversation um, but uh, yeah I don't know I don't know that what we do is any more interesting necessarily than anybody else that I'm talking to but um, it's certainly quirky yep. and um, a little bit different to what other people might answer. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and you came, you, you didn't start out doing acoustics at university, you did a, a undergraduate in... Ge geomatic engineering. Geomatic, and what's geomatic engineering? So it, it's really surveying or land surveying, um, so out there with a theodolite. Um, but I think I knew by the end of first year that that surveying was not going to be the gig for me um, and I got um, I was lucky enough to get a job while I was at university working for a photogrammetric firm and I did a little bit of um, work experience there um, but it wasn't really the right time um, time for me with digital phot photogrammetry coming in and being more computer based um, and less of the analog uh, photogrammetry. Um, and what's photogrammetry? Uh, it's where you take uh, two photos and use them in stereo to yeah. um, see landforms in 3D. Yeah. Um, and um, and then you can produce maps. So um, the company I worked for did a lot of. Um, uh, they did some mapping, but they also did a lot of mines and um, stockpile man management and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. So so you you're at uni. You're doing a surveying type degree, yep. working then in an environmental, some sort of environmental practice? Um, well that was that was really a survey type company, um, but then after I left that, because there wasn't really any opportunities for me there, um, I, um, I worked for a small environmental consultancy because that was what I was, I was interested in something to, to do with the environment wanted to save the world um, and um, 
And so I looked, I worked there for a while and then I started doing a master's in environmental management because that was what um, I thought I would like to do something in the environmental sector more broadly. Um, but as I was working for this other company, then I started, then I got a job with Renzo's and I started doing more environmental acoustics and I found that I, I liked it and I was not too bad at it. So um, I stayed and 20 years later, I'm still here doing the same thing, sort and, of. And, and 20, 20 plus years at one firm, obviously mm. the firm must be a good fit for you. What is it about Renzo's that, um, that, that makes you or that's led you to stay there for so long? Yeah, um, I think the people, I, like working with the people I work with, um, uh, uh, I've had a good um, uh, leader with Peter, I've worked with Peter Carantonis for those 20 years, and or 22 years now, and, um, and he's always been a good manager. And so when you like the people that you work with, it um, comes a bit like family, so it's hard to, it's hard to leave. Um, yep. And I like the philosophy at, at Renzo's. I like, I like that we're always trying to be at the, Renzo always used to say that we needed to be at the pointy end um, and um, to tr always strive to be our best um, and, and be the best that we can be, produce the best work. Um, and, and I like that philosophy. I like that we are always trying to make it be things better and, and that we're not afraid to do quirky things like um, build a, CP, a trailer to measure pavement noise and, um, and experiment with different things, create our own billing software. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to work with a place that yeah, likes to do things like that as well. But acoustics is so important as well. I think working for a um, for a company that's able to just specialise in noise and vibration means that um, maybe we can think about things a little bit differently to multidisciplinary yep. groups. And and you've so you've come into acoustics from a, a, an environmental or a planning background. Is mm. your work focus then been on the environmental side of acoustics? Yep, I've only ever worked in environmental. Um, I uh, started doing, well, I guess the, the whole industry has changed so much in 20 years. Um, like a big project, when I started working there, we won a big project that was, um, I think it might have been $60,000 and that was the biggest project we'd ever won and, um, and that was a totally different style of work to what we're doing now. It was mainly just measuring and a bit of modelling. Um, and uh, and now when I think of the projects that we're working on now, it's just totally different. And um, still measuring and a bit of modelling and a bit of designing, but on a totally different scale. Yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. It's, yeah. I love what I'm doing now yeah. and some of the projects I'm working on now. And um, yeah, it's very, very good. You see the way Sydney's changing. and. Some of it's good, some of it's maybe not good, but... And what, what yeah. sort of projects do you work with? Like, you might work mostly on sort of infrastructure, large mm. infrastructure type projects? Mostly now, yeah. yeah. So, um, in the last um, five years, I've um, some, somehow ended up specialising more in construction noise, um, probably because there's just so much construction going on and on infrastructure projects. Mm. 
Um, and it's just because there's been such a large workload um, on those projects that, um, that you end up doing more and more of that mm. type of work and yep. less of the other type of work that I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure that will change. These things just have a way of sort of evolving and, and that's where it's gone for now. Yep. Um, and maybe when we stop building stuff, <laughs> if we ever stop building stuff, yeah. And th those, those major projects in terms of the construction noise and vibration impact um, mm. hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of residents, you know, if you think about a construction of a, a, a big road or a railway line or, you know, mm. something of that nature, um, or even a big, you know, big hospital site, but any of those projects run for many years, you know, mm. three, four, five plus years of construction affecting all of these people, um, they need to be built mm. um, and, and that in itself takes big noisy machinery and yeah. there's, there's intrinsically a lot of noise in it. Um, what sort of approach do you need to take to balance uh, the environmental amenity of, mm. of the, the residents surrounding who are exposed over you know, a long, it's not like a two week, you know, a three month construction period. How do you balance their amenity and, and what they need versus, you know, the community need for the infrastructure itself? Yeah. Um, I guess we just try and, when we're working, we try and work with the policies that are available to us because at the end of the day, um, you've, you've got to come back to something that's in black and white so mm. that it's fair for everybody. I think ultimately with these projects, um, and the rollout of the projects, it, it needs to be fair and it needs to be the same for everyone. Um, and it shouldn't matter whether you live in a wealthy area or a, a poor area or well-educated or not, um, everyone should be treated the same um, and or as close to the same as possible. Um, and so we just, we rely on the, on the policy documents and um, setting criteria based on the documents and, um, and working out how we can um, get the projects to best fit with those, those requirements. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's sort of a, you see a, a you know, clear delineation between um, those that set the, the, the guidance mm. and then you as, you know, working as a, as a proponent for the, the infrastructure side as to how you meet those requirements. Yep. Do you also, um, you know, as I guess one of the, the, the biggest and most specialised um, groups practising in that area, do you also um, try and feed back into the, the regulation side and the policy development side and the, the yeah. research that goes into how those, those things are set? Trying, trying, to, trying to provide some feedback. Um, all the time as to how things are working and whether um, whether the the guidelines are are working um, and we've sometimes had the opportunity to do that um, or provide feedback on say the the um, construction noise guideline mm. and make sure that we're aware of what what the new guideline would be and how we think that um, it could be better. Um, yes. How, how, how do you, 
the other thing is, you know, you've now practiced for two decades in this field. Mm. What change have you seen in that time in how, how I guess, how we deal with, with construction noise and, and with the impact from those major projects? I think the biggest change is that um, oh, even 15 years ago when I worked on a road project, um, the construction part of it was just this small bit that you did because you had to tick a box about mm -hmm. construction noise and vibration. And really, probably the vibration side of it was more important than the noise because something might fall down because mm. of the vibration. Um, and the operational side was the important component and that was 70% of the project. Whereas now on some projects, the construction side of it is, is more than 50% mm. because um, say with a tunneling project, um, it's, uh, it could be a 24-7 operation seven days a week and so it's really important it's really important for our clients that they can work 24-7 and so um, all of a sudden we're actually an important piece of the puzzle it's it's not just a droplet sometimes mm. because it can mean the difference between working or not working mm. and in some of those projects you know the, the actual construction side needs to work you know if, you, if you're doing tunneling under underwater sometimes you you can't stop and come back eight hours later or it just all no you know, <laughs> you might, collapses yeah, yeah with tunneling they they <laughs> want to keep going they don't want to stop the tunneling process um, and so that means keeping everything going <clears throat> as much as they can with that um, and so just when you think about the um, some of the construction sites, when you drive past them and you see what they've built to try and allow that 24-7 operations, the size of the acoustic sheds mm. that are built that exist for, you know, three, maybe four years. Um, there's been some amazing sheds in Sydney yeah. um, that have been built and in Melbourne, even the ones that were for Melbourne Metro, even like some of the, the some of those were incredible yeah. concrete sheds. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Um, so the construction project is a project in itself, correct. like, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. its own, you know, you could carve that off as a separate project and you go, that's a, that's a lot of noise and a lot of stuff being you know, yeah. built around it. Yeah, and um, and a lot of um, input into the planning, the planning stage of a project um, and um, <clears throat> providing more input at a tender stage as well so that, yeah, okay. um, so that the contractors can understand how much budget has to go into building what they need to build. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, 20 years ago, you didn't see acoustic sheds. You didn't see some of this. Um, and I, I don't know what that meant for, you know, when they were doing it 20 years ago, that just mean the residents had to put up with it. Or, um, I don't know that we were doing the same sorts of things. I, mm. I remember um, going and seeing the shed for the Eastern Distributor. Oh, yeah. I think that okay. was Wilkinson Murray designed those sheds and um, we went and had uh, a look at one of the sheds. Um, uh, oh no, that was for Cross City Tunnel, for Cross City Tunnel. And oh, it yeah. was in Darlinghurst yeah. or something. Yeah. I just remember thinking, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> they did all this. <laughs> and at the end of it, they're going to pull it down. They're just going to pull it down. <laughs> um, so yes, that's interesting. Um, taking a step back from just uh, I mean, it's partly construction noise, but also just general environmental noise. The, the amount of regulation around environmental noise in New South Wales, 
um, compared to other states or, or some other countries. Mm. Um, the the policy and the the regulation is much more. It's it, I guess I would think of it as more developed than a lot of other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. uh, there's much more of a sort of uh, an overlay of requirements around you know construction noise and road noise and rail noise. Mm. It's 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 pretty. Um, whether the policy is good or not, yeah. it's there's quite a, um, a full set of policies around um, yeah. environmental noise. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, that adds uh, cost and complexity to projects. Do you see tangible benefit in that? In, in that we're overlaying all of this policy, which then means you know when you build something, it's more timely and difficult and costly because you've got to manage those things to a higher standard. Mm. Do, do, you, do you see the benefit to the community, for example, from, from doing that? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think it puts it, I think it means that it's considered and there's something, there's a benchmark that, um, that we're working towards, which I think is important. Um, whether it's it's noise or whether it's air quality or or water quality, um, and so I think having it without the without the guidance documents, there isn't a benchmark mm. um, to for the project to try and meet. And I don't know how you would manage it otherwise. Uh, maybe I haven't thought outside the box enough there, but I feel like. Um, Yeah, but having having a goal at least, and as I, I think I said earlier, it means that everyone is treated equally. Mm, mm. Um, equity in it. Yeah. yeah. So um, it doesn't matter whether you where you come from, um, whether whether you're educated or not, that you have the same. You, you're treated the same way because the document says this is this is this is what the criteria is, um, and and so that's how you should manage the project. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just find it interesting. Um, whenever I do work in a different state, for example, and some of the other states are not mm. as well regulated, and you know we have a 80, poli 80 page policy on on some aspect of you know whether it's road noise or industrial yeah. noise or something, and you go to another state and they've got a one pager from the yeah. EBA and. and Gosh, there's a there's such a difference in in the way that's covered, and you know, what what's the real benefit to the community? And I think there is definitely a benefit. Mm. I mean, I agree. I think the having having a level playing field and, and equity from project to project and from you know resident to resident, it's, mm. it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think the policies could be shorter. <laughs> Um, the message, yeah. uh, the message could be um, gotten across with um, less less words. Yeah. Yeah. Can, and the message can sometimes get lost in the yeah in the detail. I, I, I do think that. I think if you yeah maybe there needs to be a supporting document that's not as important, yeah. but but um, one document that just in five pages or less. Gets across what the main gist of the of the um, the guideline is, yeah. what, what the criteria are, and yeah. and how they're applied. 
and I mean that's that's the guts of it yeah and you don't want to go searching through a document and find that some of it's on page three and some of it's on page 20 and some of it's on page 45 it needs to yeah just get to it's the like point. when you read a report and it's got the executive report up front for three or four pages and it yeah. tells you everything you sort of need to know and then you know and then there's some body to it and then there's like 100 pages of annexes to yes you know to back up all the yeah, the data yeah. And stuff. yeah. so that you you can choose how much detail you want to go into yeah um, but you don't want to find something in the annex that's actually critical yeah to to how you apply the, the guideline in the first place. Sounds complicated, doesn't it? Who'd write policy? <laughs> Too hard. Very hard. <laughs> Very hard to please everyone. Um, you, you've worked on, obviously, some pretty um, uh, prominent and important projects over your career. Yep. Um, and you've done all sorts of interesting things. What are, you, what are you most proud of that you've been, that you've done or you've been involved with? Yeah, I think um, my f my favourite project that I worked on was Northwest Rail Link, which is now Sydney yep. Metro Northwest. Um, and I think um, I grew up in Northwestern Sydney, so um, since I was growing up, they always talked about a train coming to the area, but we never really believed it would ever happen. I don't live there anymore, but um, my family still does. And um, and so watching the train go, train line get built, and and now actually. Um, service that community and, and, and my niece can get the train to work or to, to uni. Um, that's, I just think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so I felt um, extremely fortunate to be involved in that project. Yeah. Had a great feel. It felt like everyone was winning. <laughs> do, you th do you think we'll still, you know, in, in, if we sit down in 10 years time, we'll still be talking about um, noise in terms of of a number and and that the the quality oh, yeah, you know okay. the quality of um you know at the moment when we assess environmental impact yeah. we, we talk about is it is it 60 dba or 55 yeah. dba or um do you think at some point we we will move towards a more qualitative i'd means like to of think assessment? there was some way of doing that that could that was fair yeah. again i think we always go back to the number because the numbers black and white, um, sort of, um, depending on whether you set the number based on relative background noise level or not, um, yeah. on a good day or a bad day. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would like to think that we could have something that was was more understandable for people. I think yeah. what we do is so mysterious that sometimes people, especially the community, sometimes feel that they're having the wall pulled over their eyes mm. um, and because um, because we've, we've done the assessment and we've worked out how they comply, but they can still hear the noise. Yeah. And, and even when it's um, meeting criteria, it can still be really annoying mm. for them, um, especially once they've tuned into it and yeah. they've got to tune into it for the next three years. So. Um, I'd like to be able to think that there was a way that we could manage it in a more understandable way that the community could get better. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how, also how to get community, meaningful community involvement. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of emphasis now on community consultation, but 
but at the moment I feel like community consultation often means the loudest voice is heard mm. and that doesn't always mean that it's the best solution yeah um, and um, sometimes it's the more educated or the um, the wealthier people that have more influence rather than it being applied fairly and I hate to see um, uh, solutions being applied to different projects based on how loud, how loud voices are yeah. rather than rather than on um, on a fair approach. Yeah. I, it must sound like a yeah. socialist, don't I? <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's um, I like it when it's in black. That's why I guess I like a criteria because it's in black and white, and yeah. you can say, look, this is this is the guideline, yeah. and we've done it to yeah. meet this guideline, and this is what um, the EPA has said is the fair approach for everyone. Yeah. Mm. So what does, you, you, you've been doing this a while now, mm. what do you, what, what does the future hold for you? What do you still want to do in your career? And In my career? Oh, I think I'd just like to keep doing what I'm doing. I, that might be a bit, sound a bit boring. I, I don't have huge career aspirations. Um, I, um, and I hope that's okay. Um, mm. I, I like, I really like what I do, but I really like what I do when I'm not at work as well. Yeah. So, and that's really important to me. Yeah. And uh, it's taken me a long time to work out that I can't be at the top of my tree and do all the things I want to do when I'm not working as well. I just don't have that much energy. So, um, so I'm working to the best of my ability doing maybe not the top job and um, and trying to do other things as well. It sounds like you've got the balance pretty well struck. Mm. You, you seem to be working on the interesting interesting projects and you can go and have a good balance outside of work at the same time. It's trying to, trying yeah. to. Um, yeah, I feel pretty fortunate. Yeah. I've got um, something that keeps me interested at work and keeps my brain moving forward. I'd like to have more time to think about even some of the things that we've talked about today, I'd like to have more time to think about them in more, in more detail. Mm. Um, and uh, yes, I've, I wrote a paper for this conference and I was, um, even while I was trying to write that and trying to find the time in the day to write that, um, I wish I had more time to, to think it through more. Yeah. There's so much going on in there. Yeah. And trying to squeeze it down through a narrow passage. <laughs> bit like Sydney traffic this morning I yeah. think. Just trying to find space, trying to find yeah. head headspace yep. to, to actually step back from the, the the thing that's right in front of you and mm. step back. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, so what advice, if, if you had someone that was starting out in acoustics or starting out, you know, maybe finishing uni and, and they thought, gee, environmental acoustics sounds like a an mm. interesting career and a, mm. a way to make our environment sound better and create better amenity for people. Mm. What advice would you give them in generally or, or in, in terms of getting into the career and, and or, or maybe what, what did you wish you knew when you were, uh, you know? I, I think it would have been nice. I wish I knew it existed. Yeah. I don't know if that would have changed my mind at all at that time, but um, yeah, it would have been good to know it existed. Um, I wish I'd understood a 
about, I think, I was at school a long time ago. Um, I wish there'd been more opportunities for girls um, when I was at school um, to, to do maths and science. And mm. not that I didn't have those opportunities, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't encouraged. I think that there is more encouragement of that now, although I do have two daughters and, um, <clears throat> and they, for some reason, think that they're not good at maths and science, mm. even though they're not too bad at it. Um, so I don't know what the answer is there. I just, um, yeah, like maybe, but there's boys that don't like it as well. So, yeah. or they think they don't like it, even though they're good at it. So maybe well, it you just, can be good at something and not like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> but true. it sounds like as an industry, we need to get working at a a sort of um, getting the message out that we exist and that's a, it's a, an interesting and rewarding career. And yeah. B, you know trying to attract you know a, a, a more girls into yes. um, the university stream and, and more women into engineering and acoustics. I think so I think so and like um, providing opportunities for kids when they're at uni um, to work in organizations um, I think most of the unis seem to have internship programs running which can um, which I think is really good because it allows um, I don't. I shouldn't call them kids because they're not. They're adults, but um, they they it allows them to to take a test test drive of the yeah. the work and yep. see whether it is for them. And sometimes you get people that come from a completely different discipline, not from the more traditional mechanical engineering background, but they might come from uh, energy or um, surveying. Um, and, and they, they, they can try it and, and they might find that they actually really like it. Um, but it, if they don't like it, they're not stuck as well. They can try something else. So I think that having that sort of work experience opportunities is good mm. at university. When, when kids have already decided that engineering's for them. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's difficult to figure out what's, what's the thing that is going to work for you and what you're mm. interested in. And, and then also finding the right place to work that, that mm. is a good fit. You know, I, I always say there's, you know, the place I, I work for Marshall Day, I don't think that's, I think it's a great place to work. It's, a, it's the best place to work for me. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily the best place for everyone. Yes. Um, and trying to find the, the place and the culture and, and everything that works is the right fit. Yeah. Um, is, is, and it's, it's difficult to, um, it's difficult to sample that. Uh, you know, yeah, 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 I think, I think you're right, um, yeah, we've, um, we've enjoyed having some interns working with us over the last couple of years, um, and it's been tricky in the last two years, yeah, very, um, yeah. because you don't get as much collaboration when, um, when you're not in the office, yeah. you don't really get to see what the workspace environment's really like, yeah. Um, but it's good, and it's good to see their young minds learning. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's great, it's yeah. it, it, and it's exciting that you are, you know, twenty odd years into your career, and you're still excited about it, and still finding those um, most of the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not on Monday morning, <laughs> <laughs> or four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Yeah.
Well, Tracy, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Matt.